This is the Coin Gamer Podcast, and I'm your host, Fritz Charles. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Coin Gamer Podcast. Today, we have an illustrious guest. We're going to do something a little bit different today. So, we usually, you know, we're obviously a cryptocurrency podcast, but we think it's very important to think of crypto as an asset class. So, we're bringing somebody that is well versed in investing as a whole. So, name is Andreas Garcia Maya. He's the founder and CEO of Zoe, of the fintech company to reinvest wealth management. Prior to Zoe, Andreas was an executive director at JP Morgan, their asset management division, which oversaw $1.3 trillion in assets under management. Andreas is consistently ranked as a top speaker at major industry conferences. I'll tell you myself, I'm always seeing a clip of him on CNBC, Bloomberg, uh, but he's also been on, on PBS and he's also well-quoted in the financial press. Prior to J.P. Morgan, Andreas worked at Morgan Stanley in the institutional equity division where he, he developed investment ideas and equity market insights to institutional clients. You know, Andreas and I actually went to school together in Philly at Wharton, but that wasn't the first time he went to school in Philly. He must love Philly a lot because he went to school there twice. I went to Villanova <laughs> for his undergrad, but you know, he's a very sharp guy and we're very honored to kind of have him on the podcast, but welcome Andres and, you know, fill in any gaps I might've missed. No, uh, thanks for, for having me, uh, Fritz. I think you did a, a great job doing the, uh, the intro. So, uh, I guess the only thing I would, I would add, um, you know, you mentioned equity trading at, at Morgan Stanley. I think that's probably the most relevant in the sense of, uh, a lot of the audience that might look at, at, at um, a cryptocurrencies as, as a trading opportunity. I, I'm well-versed in that uh, kind of mentality, if you will. So I could try to kind of jump from my early days of being a trader to uh, to then transitioning to be more of a kind of strategic long-term uh, long investor because I think there's definitely different mindsets for, for both. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, right now, you know, you obviously you, you're well-decorated in the finance space, but you created this fintech platform. Um, tell us about it. What What is Zoe Financial and what does it do? Yeah, so uh, so Zoe Financial is a marketplace where people in their 30s and 40s uh, that are looking for someone to basically bounce ideas or outsource their uh, a lot of their personal finances could find that financial planner. Uh, in essence, I I I was that consumer trying to look for for help, even though sure. I you know since I've been an investor for years, uh, I needed that kind of household CFO that could help me figure out. How do, do my investments fit into my tax strategy, into my state planning, into my insurance? And that's stuff that even at Warren, you don't learn, right? right. So uh, the issue is that majority of the people that you try to reach out to are salespeople, right? Just trying to kind of push a product. So what Zoe does is it actually vets the experts out there uh, and only allows the top, top, top people that actually, in essence, provide that service rather than our salespeople. And then sure. we match them with, with potential customers that are looking for that type of help. Awesome, awesome. That that's that seems like you're filling kind of a huge gap, and um, doing it online makes a lot of sense because now, you know, we're we're kind of the generation that um, you know grew up on the internet, and you know, Facebook came out when we were in college, etc. So we're you know the whole thing of kind of uh, meeting a financial advisor with a with a shot of bourbon in a in a you know love the chair it doesn't really work as much. So exactly, awesome, <laughs> exactly. awesome, awesome. Cool, man. Well, you know, I think you know, one thing I forgot to mention uh, for our listeners is that um, Andreas is also a CFA, uh, a chartered financial analyst. So, he, you know, he he, he also um, ha- has passed that certification. And one of the main things that uh, that's part of that that um, 
I guess that test and that examination is around um, portfolio management and uh, diversification. So, you know, what would what does diversification mean to you? Why why is it important? And why would why is it why is it smart for somebody to avoid putting all their financial eggs in one basket? Yeah. So, I mean, the fancy diversification is basically fancy, as you mentioned, for uh, try not to put all your eggs in, in one basket. And if you're using, in essence, kind of uh, the terminology is, is the basic principle is behind asset allocation, right? which is a key element of uh, of creating a portfolio that's that's well diversified. But the best way to think about it is that you want to combine a number of different. And when I talk about assets is, you know, think about stocks, bonds, as separate assets, cryptocurrencies is another assets. Sure. Right? So you want to combine a variety of different assets that don't all sig in the same direction at the same time. Sure. Uh, if you do that, right, if you have all these assets that basically move in the same direction at the same time, is the equivalent, even if there might be an asset classes, you're not well diversified. Uh, in essence, you have the same risk in throughout the whole portfolio. So sure. what you want is... Uh, to reduce the overall risk of, of of the portfolio by having, for instance, you know, to use kind of the old uh, stocks and bonds, right? In the short term, stocks and bonds might be down the same day or up the same day, but over a long period of time, they do have different return profiles, which right. actually then reduces the overall risk uh, of your investment uh, portfolio. And one of the one of the cool uh, stats that uh, you know that I have on that is that if you look, for instance, uh, from 1950s uh, till now. Right. And you looked at 10-year rolling returns, right? So 1950, 1960, 1951 to 1962, you know, and you just kind of keep that going. The worst 10-year uh, period return for, uh, for a stock portfolio alone, basically for the S&P, would have been down 3%. So even if you invested long-term, there was one 10-year period where you were down 3% during that whole period. Wow. But if you had... 50-50 equity and bond portfolio, the worst you could have done uh, from a 10-year uh, standpoint was up 2%, right? And that doesn't sound like a lot, right. right? But when you're actually compounding that over decades, it makes a massive difference, right? Think about how scary is it to be in a portfolio for 10 years, just owning for the long haul, as Warren Buffett would say, and still being down 3%, right? right? right. So that's the power of diversification is that over the long haul, uh, it could actually mean basically that you'll be able to to uh, to reach your goals versus, you know, freaking out because you happen to be in, in the decade <laughs> that, that right. the markets gave you negative three percent. Right. So it is sure. it is a big deal. And it's obviously something that is kind of the anchor of uh, asset allocation. But uh, often it's easier said than done. Right. A lot of people want to be diversified. But the interesting thing is. Uh, it's just human psychology. It's, it's, there's a human bias of always focusing on the thing that's down, that's red, sure. right? So we we encounter that all the time where clients will say, well, you know, I thought my financial advisor was going to do a great job, but, you know, bonds were down 2% this year, hmm. right? And you're like, right, but your equities <laughs> were up 20%. They're sure. like, but why, are, why is that part down 2%? Right, it's like, right. no, actually, that's supposed to happen, right? If everything <laughs> was going up in the same direction, Basically, your advisor or you as an investor are not doing a good job, you know, keeping a, a well-constructed uh, portfolio. Sure, sure, sure. And what uh, and kind of like how's what's the breakdown? What do you suggest for some of your clients? I guess obviously everybody's unique, but what's kind of like a high level? Breakdown? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question, and it's kind of the the ultimate question is what's the right portfolio for for you? So I'll the 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 main caveat that I would say is that it's not only a question of 
uh, time horizon. So for instance, let's say that if you were asking me that question and you're 65 and about to retire, my answer would be drastically different than if you're 35 and already have an emergency fund, have all kind of your eggs in a row right. if you were to lose your job and if your wife were to lose your job, right? So the, the asset location is going to look drastically different. Uh, that's one. So in essence, time horizon matters. Right? So if you have 30 years and you don't have to worry about a recession because you already have an emergency fund and you're saying, look, I just need to invest and get the kind of the highest potential return, then you want to have a lot more um, uh, asset classes that have a higher expected return. So for instance, stocks being the obvious one, but even I'll take it one step further, but having more international exposure than, than domestic exposure here in the US. Why? Well, international exposure, especially the emerging markets, for instance, tend to be a lot more volatile. Sure. Right. And what that basically means is that there's a direct direct relationship between how volatile an asset class is and their expected return. In essence, the more risk you're willing to take, usually the higher expected return. Right. So for cryptocurrencies, right. <laughs> it's kind of the extreme case of that, of but it still fits into that to time frame. So going back and giving all those caveats, if you're in your 30s, you already have your emergency fund. You already have enough money that if you hit a recession and you and your wife were to, you know, and if you have kids where you don't have to like lose sleep at night, then you want to own as much equities, as much as higher expected return uh, in your portfolio. Now, you don't want to own 100 percent. Why? Um, the benefit of diversification then is lost. Right. So, for instance, if you were to own maybe five, 10 percent of bonds right. and then the market were to fall. 20% in a year, then you could actually rebalance and say, oh, actually, but my bond was up uh, 5%. So I could take some of those gains and actually reinvest in the in the equity perf uh, portfolio right. when it's actually down. Sure. Right? So you still want to have something that's not just equity, but that gives you a, a, a perspective of, in essence, the, the type of asset allocation you want to have when you're in your younger uh, days. So that's one. But then the other aspect is, what's your risk tolerance? And what I, what that means is I know a lot of my friends, even including some of our buddies from business school, that are a lot more risk uh, averse than others. Sure. Right. So this might sound great. Like I get it. You know, rationally speaking, I want to have as much expected returns on my long term investments. But then you ask them, will you be comfortable if your portfolio is down 20 percent one month? <laughs> and right. they'll you know, and they'll like puke. Right? They're like, right, no, right. my God, I would have a heart attack. OK, then then you need to have instead of 90, 10 you know, maybe 70, 30 or 70, 10, 10 rate of actually holding some cash um, on the sidelines might reduce that volatility to say maybe the worst you could do is down eight. Does that sound better? Right. right? And so we do a lot of that, which is actually uh, kind of force people to think about th those downside scenarios and actually give them like raw numbers. Like, OK, if you had ten thousand dollars at the beginning of January 1st and by the end of January, you only had 7,000. How would that make you feel? Right. right? Yeah. Uh, and that's when you learn a lot about, you know, every, everyone wants to have the upside, but then it's really important for us to understand uh, how much people are actually willing to, to, to feel the pain on the downside, because that's usually where a lot of people lose money is making those decisions that are driven by fear, right? It's like, yeah, let's, let's buy right now. Everyone, you know, my neighbor is making money. My, my doctor's making money. I need to be invested. And then of course, uh, you invest and then the market falls 10% and you're like, I should have never done that in the first place. And then you sell. Right? So, so that's what you want to, that's what you want to avoid. But, um, I mean, there's a long winded answer to it, but the, 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 the reason is that it's not as, as a cookie cutter as, as you would think. 
uh, considering how many cases we see of even very smart people making very bad decisions <laughs> when sure. it comes to their investments. No, of course, of course, because things are, you know, people are emotional about a lot of things, so family, you know, their sports teams, and especially their money. So um, yeah, exactly. I definitely see that. You know, that's actually a great segue because obviously, you know, you kind of talked about the whole emotional, emotionality of, of uh, you know, you see people making money, you got to hop into it, right? And that that is the perfect categorization or or a description of the crypto space. So like a lot, you know, three, four months ago, fourth quarter of um, 2017, crypto was just kind of, well, especially Bitcoin was was growing like wildfire so you have a yep. lot of people over the, over the holidays that just went and bought yeah um not really thinking much about it and obviously now um you know you've seen a huge correction where from the tops um bitcoin is about half of what it was and so you have people trying to are panicking because they're not sure if they should buy they should sell and you know just to kind of take a, a step back you know crypto has this all this whole like i don't know i mean a lot of people in the space are real competitive where it's like oh you know it's either crypto or like traditional finance and so yeah. like you see these memes that are making fun of like the goldman sachs people and like anti-bankers mm -hmm. but like as you and i know you know the only way that this space could succeed is to kind of work alongside yeah um and so i guess what's your what being somebody that's more quote-unquote traditional finance what's your views on crypto and like if you were to kind of like, again you know we know that the allocation depends on the yeah. individual but what would you what would you suggest to like you know your average client uh yeah as far as the allocation yeah no i think that's uh yeah that's the question right so the the way i would look at, at crypto is any other asset and, and i think you're, you frame it the right way right because every time i start to get emotional about anything my investments i basically just call it something else to see if I still feel the same way about it. Sure. Right. Uh, and I, that's a kind of a trick that I learned in my trading days, uh, where if you, you start falling in love with a company or a stock, right, and uh, and then you know because it made you money, you feel kind of attached to it, and you're like, no, I'm not going to leave you now. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> but you 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 gotta you gotta detach yourself. So if you're let's put this if you're a hardcore, you know, uh, cryptocurrency trader or investor that, you know, you you went through the hard uh, periods in 2013, 14, when everyone thought you were just a weirdo and they were like, what the hell are you doing? What is this? And, yeah. and you made a lot of money. Uh, it's very hard to then now say, well, now everyone's jumping on board. They don't they don't know what they're doing, right? I, I know what I'm doing. And you basically develop this kind of emotional attachment to it. And I think it's the, the important thing, especially for those people that have kind of been doing this for a while, sure. is to just call it something else, right? And that's what I, what I, you know, for instance, I'll give you an example. And this is, I'll get eventually to your answer, but I no, think it's no, go good ahead. to kind of frame it. So, uh, I invested in, in uh, Brazil for uh, a couple of years, and uh, it was actually the opposite. I made all the wrong decisions in Brazil, right? Like I invested uh, in uh, 2013, got burned, okay. then said, you know what? I'm never going to buy this thing again. And then it rallied like 300%. And then I said, oh, my God, and now I'm going to invest. You know, I made all the wrong decisions. And my one of, you know, one of my mentors at JP Morgan um, and the Emerging Markets team basically said, all right, uh, just stop calling it Brazil, right? And let's just look at, in essence, the variables that usually you would look to and invest in investing and then see if you still want to invest it or not. And that removed like a huge baggage sure. <laughs> for me of, of making the decision if I wanted to invest in, in, in Brazil or not. And I think I would do the same thing for, for, for crypto. Right now for crypto, I look at, you know, now getting closer to your question of my view on crypto, I look at crypto, the closest thing 
is um, is currencies. Now you, we could sit here and debate if, if it's a if it's more like an asset class versus something that you want to use to buy things. Right. But what I mean by currency is actually currency is an investment, right? Sure. And the reason that I mention that is that currencies have like a number of different drivers in it. It is not as simple as and cookie cutter um, as bonds, for instance, uh, which is very simple, right? It's like you get a coupon, you know, if you're if you hold it and it does, if the company doesn't go bankrupt, at least you can value it based on that coupon. Right, right. If you have stocks, you have dividends. Not all of them, but you can at least actually see what type of dividend yield you're getting, uh, and you have uh, earnings. The companies make money, right? And you can value it based on the expected future earnings. For crypto, is more like currencies, where you're just basically dictating what where you think that cryptocurrency is going to be valued versus the dollar versus other uh, cryptocurrencies in the future. There's no like dividend yield there's no coupon uh and for that reason it's much harder to 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 value right now it doesn't mean that you don't invest in it the same way that for instance i invested in currencies um when i was in the emerging markets team we, we ran 90 billion dollars and actually one of the biggest investment decisions was around uh was was around what we thought of the currency so you could use for instance momentum indicators uh, the more the cryptocurrencies have been around the more history they'll be and therefore it'll become a little bit uh, more structured and, and more um, call it there'll be more academic rigor as to how you would try to to invest in it. So that's how I view it. Um, it's basically as a currency type investment where there's no there is no hard dividend or coupon, but that doesn't mean that is not an investment vehicle, right? Right. Um, and then when it comes to what ownership you would you would have, I'll, I'm very cautious in giving a number. I could give you my number, okay. Uh, but uh, I'm very cautious of giving a number because going back to what I was saying of what risk tolerance people have, right? So if I say, for instance, yeah, you know, 10% seems reasonable. For some people, seeing something fall 50% in a month right. might not be, for them, it might be 1% that they're willing to take out of their overall portfolio right, to see right. that type of volatility versus 10. So for me, I kept it, I almost look at it, and I, and I think some people will probably, uh, if they could throw stones my way, uh, I would look at it almost as my gold exposure within the portfolio. Which is, I, I never want it to be more than five percent. Again, this is just me. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, if it gets below two percent, I rebalance systematically. And what that means is I don't care what is happening in the space. I don't care about any headlines. If it gets to two percent, right? I just basically make it an automatic decision that I get it back to five percent. And then if it uh, if it gets, you know, if it's at five percent and it starts moving closer to eight percent, nine percent, in essence, because it has this huge rally, I sell it back to get to five percent, right? So sure. I try to remove the emotion out of it. Now you might say that doesn't sound fun, right? I totally get it. I have like my 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 kind of kiddie pool where I do the fun trading, right? right. But what I'm, I'm I'm talking about more the asset allocation that I have for uh, my kids five twenty nine, uh, you know, for for their uh, college education for my retirement for looking out 10, 20 years out. And then I have like my side, kind of like my side uh, account that's more for fun, right? Sure. And I think that's also important to kind of create those mental uh, kind of drawers because in the fun one, I'll do whatever the hell I want, right? No one's there to tell me, hey, look, you're not being cautious enough. You're not, and, and, it, and that's the fun part. But then the serious part of the portfolio, I remove all emotions from it. And that 5% number for some people and, and um, you know, they're listening might be like, well, actually, for me, it's 20%. I love crypto. I think is the next, basically, will replace stocks and they'll have kind of this view of the world. That's totally fine. Uh, whatever your number is, 
just know and feel comfortable with the type of volatility that 20% will have with your overall portfolio, right? Yeah, totally, totally. No, I, I think that's a, that's an awesome way to look at it. Um, you will have people that kind of like, hey, you know, I'm holdable and I'm, I'm you know, exactly. I, I will have all my invest, my non-rent and non-food investments going into this. But I think it's important for, uh, you know, for you to kind of take this. It's going to be volatile for the near future. Um, so I think the smart way to look at it is kind of like how you're describing it for folks. Now, you know, I guess let's go back to, you know, you're a J.P. Morgan alum. And so, you know, not to, I guess this guy is the easy punching bag for a lot of people in crypto, Jamie Dimon, right? Yeah. But, you know, I'm just using him as an example. I think Warren Buffett has said stuff. So there's a lot of like, you know, kind of your quote unquote older school mm -hmm. traditional finance folks that have said things about crypto. And then some of them are backtracking. So we see that Jamie Dimon, even though he's saying he's not a crypto enthusiast, he's 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 kind of hinted that he regrets some of the things he said in the past. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's kind of like clients that are bugging him or people internally or all the above? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, even, even if it wasn't Jamie Dimon, I think a lot of these guys, I think people forget, right? So these very senior uh, folk at, at large banks, they're still human, right? And sure. Uh, and I, you know, I've seen Jamie speak, I've seen Lloyd speak. I've, I've been in meetings where a lot of these guys and they're just, they're, they happen to have a lot of zeros in their accounts, but they're still human. Right. And, right. and I think, uh, you know, for people that made a whole career, uh, I'll put it this way. Right. So for people that are listening, let's say that they're kind of hardcore, uh, cryptocurrency guys, let's fast forward five years from now. And, you know, you've been at it for 10 years. You, you basically made a career out of it. You made a lot of money with it. You move up kind of both in a, from a social capital standpoint in your community uh, of cryptocurrency. Right. You are now an expert. You may, you know, you work very long hours to understand it and how to make it more functional, whatever, whatever. And then out of, out of left field comes this other thing called, I don't know, snake or something. <laughs> and, right. And, and then they ask you, everyone that you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know you're very successful at, at, at cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And I, you, you've had 30 years of experience in this, but talk to us about snake, right? And you're like, what the hell is snake? I don't, what the, like, what the hell is this thing? Right? So I think that's the best way of, to kind of provide that kind of uh, perspective is that for these guys, you know, they work their whole life in one, in one uh, ecosystem. And then Everyone wants to talk about something that is new and, and they're kind of like, screw this, you know, right. so I think he had kind of his outburst of, you know, screw, screw it. You know, I don't I don't know what what the hell this is. Uh, what I know is I run, you know, multi <laughs> multi billion dollar business around the world with thousands of people, you know, helping create loans and blah, you know, so I could just see him getting emotional about that. And I think right. a lot of other guys might be. But all these guys eventually will come around. Right. They're very practical. Uh, you know, my view is, you know, was that the right decision to do? No. Sure. Uh, you know, will others time and time again discount new technology and new asset classes? Of course. Right. Of that's course. just kind of that's just how it works. Uh, I remember, for instance, REITs when basically real estate was starting to be uh, securitized um, for years. People made basically fun. of. Oh, that's not a real asset class. That's right. just garbage and blah, blah, blah. And even after 08, 09, it's like, oh, well, we told you that's going to zero. And then last thing I checked, it's still around. And there's now like sure. much more, um, there's much more kind of institutionalized processes around it. And, and I think it's going to be the same thing for, for cryptocurrencies, right? It's going to go through ups and downs. There's going to be a lot of haters. There's going to be a lot of people that will say, I told you so when, when it's down. Uh, but I, I'm 
you know, let's put it this way. I'm, I'm not uh, naive enough to not pay attention. And that's why I've invested. Like I invested not because I think it's going to make me super wealthy is because I think it's stupid to discount new technology and especially um, a new asset class like uh, like uh, cryptocurrencies that don't come around every decade. <laughs> sure. Right. That's a great uh, so that's that's what I, that's where I'll leave it. Like I, I look at someone like, you know, uh, Jamie and you use him as an example. But these guys, you know, had been around the block for decades working very hard in, in one ecosystem. And then here comes a new one that's saying, well, yours is your stuff is crap. This is this is a new hot shit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And, and of course, they're going to have an emotional reaction to it. But, even, you know, more and more every week, you see new announcements of them investing in startups and, and in technology around cryptocurrency. So they're, they're pragmatic uh, enough, I think, over time to, you know, to, to not totally miss the, the wave. Awesome. Awesome. No, I think that's a great explanation. I mean, I think REITs, uh, yeah, I forgot. I forget about, I forget that REITs haven't been around for, you know, forever. Forever. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, uh, and how new it was, you know, during the kind of like the early 2000s or what have you. Uh, exactly. Yep. Um, so I guess what would, I guess as like going, putting back your kind of your financial advisor hat or the people that, you know, are that you service yep. as part of your platform, what would, you know, high level you need to see from the space to make it something that's worth more than maybe, you know, one to 5%. So from a, maybe, yeah. is it less volatility? Is it like, you know, coins that have revenues? Like what, what, what kind of stuff would, that does it, what, what does it need? What does the space need to do to quote unquote, I guess, either mature or, or grow up to kind of do what I guess REIT did to become a, a yeah. asset class that people consider? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think you need to see more and more institutional investors, jump into it okay um and i actually think that in itself could be a catalyst right for for you know more money's coming in um so for instance you know the if you start to see the endowments and foundation space um and it, just to give you a, a bit of and what i mean by that is if you see for instance um you know hardware endowments right they've run billions and billions of dollars start to take uh cryptocurrency uh as one of the asset classes that they would invest in right that that would start to put some more rigor behind it. You would have these guys that have that are more permanent capital, right? So right. Um, that 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 starts to turn heads, and then you get also eventually even pension funds saying, "Well, we're going to dip our toe and put you know 0.5% of the portfolio on this." And and even though 0.5% doesn't sound like a lot, you know, when you have a trillion dollars <laughs> uh, to invest in from an institutional standpoint, that starts to mean uh, a lot more money. But the the short version is you want institutional players to, to put the asset class to more rigor, right. To, to really kind of understand how, how it works. Uh, you know, you don't want, you never want to hear this uh, more regulation, but I actually think putting some, um, putting some boundaries uh, around what the cryptocurrency is, ways to in, uh, invest in it, actually keep investors safer, if you will, right. will only make the asset class more attractive and more and bring in, um, bring in, in essence, more mainstream investors, right? And the more sure. mainstream investors that come in that become more permanent capital, over, over time, what that's going to mean is that the asset class won't be as volatile, which will mean that expected returns will come down as well, right? But that's eventually when people start to look at the asset class, you know, going back to that read example, as some people now always have a read exposure, right? They're like, yeah, that's that's always going to be 5% of our portfolio or of it's going to be 10%. So I think over time, the more institutional players start to invest, the more, call it 
and you, you don't want to hear this when you're you know kind of new uh, and innovative on this space, but the more gray hair people uh, start to look at it, the more that it will actually uh, become part of that global asset allocation process, right? Totally. Uh, and it's just going to take time. Uh, you know, for some that might be like, boo, we don't want that. But actually, eventually, that's what's going to, to answer your question. That is what's going to make it not just 2% or 1% of the portfolio, but eventually think about how private equity, uh, you know, just even 30 years ago, no one would ever consider private equity uh, or hedge fund exposure um, in an asset allocation for, for instance, for Harvard to be more than 1% or 2% of their overall strategy. Some sure. of these guys now have 15 20% in what they call alternative investments, right? So sure. uh, crypto could become part of that kind of bucket that's called alternative investments for more institutional players. And once you have permanent capital that that, that puts it through the rigor uh, and acts basically start voting with their feet for more um, more structure around it, how you invest it, how secure it is, how, how to value it, right? There's gonna be more innovative than than uh, people more innovative than me that will come up with new ways to try to value it. And you were saying, is it revenues that are attached to it? Is it um, is it more necess not necessarily just the cryptocurrencies, but what people end up building as a result of using blockchain that maybe kind of brings a lot of new players into it, right? Right. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it, how it plays out. But what I, I mean for me, it's becoming fairly clear that it's not going away, right? Right, right. Uh, it's just a question of how fast uh, it starts to reach the, the, the mainstream. Awesome, awesome. No, I think, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, and, and, and that regular, all that, a lot of that stuff is already happening, obviously with the, uh, Bitcoin futures yep. and also the meetings that they're, you know, the, uh, SEC chair and the CFTC chair had with Congress a few weeks ago. So it's in motion, you know, you can't yep. really ha we can't really stop it. Um, but yeah, so kind of pivot a little bit. So given that, you know, your platform, not only is it a platform for people to, um, you know, find financial advisors, but you know, you're, you're sort of, you're, you're marketing for financial advisors, but you're also marketing, investing and savings and things of that yep. sort. And so, you know, given that, you know, crypto is more of a, a movement that kind of tends more towards the, the younger folks. So, yeah. you know, millennials, people in their early 30s, um, although that's changing. Um, my dad just bothered me to buy him some Bitcoin a few weeks ago. <laughs> I don't know. If, it might be because I'm posting on Facebook about it every day, but yeah. I don't know. But, uh, you know, what do you think, like, I guess from a market, do you see that, like, and you also see a platform like Robinhood that yeah, yeah. allows people to trade stocks and crypto. Do you see it? crypto serving as kind of like an on-ramp to investing for yeah, millennials? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that's one of the areas that I, that really interests me is that, um, you know, so if you're, if you're 23 years old, uh, this might all, this might be in essence, all you know about investing, right? So right. Might, and um, so I think from that perspective, it's great, right? I think uh, I, let's put it this way. Uh, I'm not above the fray of loving the, the kind of dynamic uh, trading aspect of it. That's how I started my career, right? And sure. that's what really at first kind of captivated my imagination of, of joining a trading desk and 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 seeing, you know, ev how everyday things change. And so that's really exciting. And I think crypt uh, cryptocurrencies are just basically uh, this generation's version of that, right? And and, uh, and I think um, so, uh, apps like Robinhood that are, uh, I don't know if you saw actually that new commercial, uh, with yeah. the astronaut, right? It's like yeah. I mean, these guys—they're just—they're just—they just get it, right? And they're going to right. attract, uh, you know, I, I think millions of, of young people that might have actually never considered 
investing because it, it sounds boring. Like who wants to invest in bonds, or, right? So, right, right. Um, so I think it's all good, right? I, I think the main the main thing is to get people interested to to get uh, asking questions, and that with all that comes the risk, right? Which is then you get people that that think that there's an easy way out of not having to to basically work for anything, right? And and that's the that's the main danger. But that's always been there. That's not a cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, I was I remember in the you know I'm old enough that in the late '90s, you know I had buddies who were like ah I don't have to do anything. I, I quit my job. I day trade. You know, uh, tech stocks three hundred percent. Right, and, and and that's that's really the danger is that when people turn something that's just fun and exciting and uh, into into basically saying, well, I guess I'll never have to do anything in my life because all I have to do is just buy this and close my eyes. Right. right, right. Uh, that, that I think is the danger that, but that's all, again, like I don't, I'm not even knocking on cryptocurrencies cause that's always been around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Like the tool of mania, <laughs> you know, like uh, centuries ago was the same story, which, which sure. is, that sounds easier than working. So might as well just, you know, hopefully buy it before I'm the last guy buying it and then selling it. And I of think course. that, that is the, that is the danger there. But, um, I'm, I'm really excited about what, cryptocurrencies have done to people in their 20s uh, you know we get a lot of young people that are interested in investing that are l willing to learn about what drives markets and i think you know as people get a little bit older uh then they they kind of start learning about other areas of investing right and i think that's what's going to happen right uh, they'll say well okay now i now i get why i needed diversification shit you know I, <laughs> i'm down 80 percent in all of my all of my net worth um and then they say, well, all right, let me let me get let me get a better sense of how is it that I would go about that. And then they end up buying some bonds and and then they say, wow, actually, this is not as boring as I thought. You know, now my portfolio is never down 90 percent or 80 percent because, you know, when 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 my Bitcoin's down 80, it, it turns out my bond was up six percent uh, that year. And that definitely helped me kind of lower the volatility of the of the asset class. Right. So right. It, 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 that's the way that I see it. And we just want basically as many students of the market. Uh, to, to join and uh, and then over time just kind of move off the ladder of of, of, of enlightenment of, of the different asset classes that are out there that, that that's basically kind of like my, my view of it awesome awesome no no i agree and so i guess given that i guess hypothetical uh you know millennial or or, or, or person that's new to investing that you know maybe wants to look past crypto what do you think they should start are there any like you know blogs or books or youtube series or channels they yeah. should check out yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so the the the, the layoffs basically is uh, I would say the, the economist is great. Uh, okay. One, because I I think uh, understanding how economies and markets to, for me personally, how they intersect uh, is, is the most exciting. Uh, so but I'm just I, I'm just kind of intellectually curious on, on that side. But so the economist is great. You get to see the world from a global perspective. And I think you know, crypt people that are in, into crypto definitely are more global, right? Actually, I don't know the stats, but I think there's more people that are into crypto outside of the U.S. than, than, than inside the U.S. I might be wrong right, on right. that. But uh, the economist is great just to get a sense of how uh, how economies basically work. That for me is like really, really uh, important uh, because if you understand how economies work and they're and they're not they're very complex systems, right? Uh, so that that to me is like really what I, Actually, the markets is understanding how economies work. Because then I kind of ask my question, like, well, how come sometimes markets don't move in the same direction than economies, right? So I'm starting to understand that 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 uh, 
intersection. So the Economist is great. Uh, I read the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and, you know, call me old school, but uh, I kind of started my career with every day kind of reading at least the front page of, of the Wall Street Journal and seeing what's going on. Sure. Uh, so those are kind of gateways, <laughs> right, to, to, to understanding. When it comes to newer uh, players, uh, I'll give you a couple of people that are, I think are really good uh, people to follow that are a little bit older probably than uh, some of the uh, people listening. But, but, but they're very clear thinkers. And, um, and I think people could learn a lot from it. So one is, uh, his name is Ben Carson. Okay. Uh, and his blog is a wealth of common sense. Okay. Uh, this guy, he's like in the Midwest and came out of, you know, nowhere, but, uh, he's really, really, really good about kind of explaining how, uh, how investing works, how, um, but not just like, you know, picking stocks, but in essence, like, you could, if you if you start from the beginning of his blog till now, you could actually see how he's kind of grown up as an investor, right? Sure. He's in his like late thirties. Uh, that so that's a great one. Uh, another one that's just fun to follow uh, is um, Josh Brown, the reform broker. Yeah, yeah, he's he's entertaining. I follow him on Twitter. Yeah, and they actually work at the same firm, but surprise, surprise, they're just great, great bloggers on 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 investing. And also, if even if you if you uh, follow Josh uh, Brown. You could see his evolution of thinking, right? He was a trader and then slowly but surely has kind of graduated to like, oh, shit, I could lose like all of my fortune that way. <laughs> so, right. you know, that's just happened. Look, man, it happens when you have kids. Sure, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of others. Well, um, Ray Dalio, if you guys haven't downloaded the YouTube of how an economy works okay. uh, by him, that's like a must uh, is one of the clearest explanations of uh, I've seen on, right. on how an economy works. So um, I'm trying to think of other. I mean, those those are just yeah. No, those, no that's, those that's, are just that's more than, that's more than enough. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna never link that in the show notes. But yeah. awesome. Listen, you know, I think you're a very busy man. The markets are still open. Um, so I definitely appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. Um, during the middle of the day and giving us so many good gems. But if somebody wants to kind of reach out to you. Um, how can we learn about uh, Zoe Financial or or follow you on social media? Where are you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I tend to be the most active on Twitter. So it's uh, A N D R G A R C. Okay. So like basically like the first couple of letters of Andres Garcia. Uh, so I, I tend to be active there. And then uh, you know you could uh, on in our site you could obviously subscribe to our blog. We we tend to write once or uh, twice a week. Right. Uh, and we do have a, a bunch of resources as well of call it 101s, 201s, 301s of investing using you know common common language. Uh, it's one of the things that I've learned is a lot of people in the industry, especially kind of the older folk, try to use big terms just to sound, you know, sound smart and elevate their status. So we we're like the total opposite of that. We try to just like speak how we're talking right now of <laughs> and try to explain what's going on. So that's one of the I think one of the, the cool things about our, our platform is that it's designed for people, um, you know, call it under 40 that uh that that still want to learn and want to be a student of the market, want to understand how investment works, and you know when it, when the time's right, then potentially outsource some of those investments to uh, to a financial planner. Awesome, awesome. Hey man, listen, you you kind of you uh you dropped a lot of gems, and and I think you know uh, our people are definitely going to follow you going forward, and I think it's important for people to kind of think of crypto 
um, bigger than just like the different coins, but think of it in their total portfolio as well as the different asset classes and, and educate themselves um, past in investing as a whole versus just kind of like, um, you know, hedging or, you know, scalping the latest coin. So thank you for that. Um, appreciate your time. And uh, this was fun. All right. Thanks for having me, Fritz.